Hear the word of the Lord, Galatians 4, 21 through 5, 1. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Well, before we took a break for a Lent series, which turned into... Uh, let's pause and process the coronavirus crisis. Um, and, and last week, obviously, was Easter. Before we we stopped to consider some some glorious, some big truths in light of the circumstances we were in. We were walking through Paul's letter to the Galatians. We started that at the beginning of January, and we're going to be walking through the rest of the letter through the end of May. And just to give you a little bit of a recap. Uh, Galatians is a book, it it originally was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to some churches in in a region called Galatia. Now Paul, he he visited this region, he preached the gospel, and people that were there, these Gentile Galatians, they believed the gospel, and churches started to form, and as Paul now continues on to take the gospel to other places, he receives word that the Galatian churches had started to believe an error. So there were these Christians from Jerusalem who, who came in. They, Paul calls them false teachers. They came into the Galatian churches, and they wanted to clarify what they believed Paul was missing with his gospel. You see, Paul taught that people could come to Jesus freely, that people who were guilty of sin could be forgiven of their sin. People who were far from God could be reconciled to God, all on the basis of what Jesus did for them. And the way that they became a child of God was by simple faith. Well, these, these teachers, these influencers from Jerusalem, they come to Galatia, and they want to correct Paul. They say, well, Paul is partially right. Yes, it's true, you must believe in Jesus in order to be saved, but in order to truly belong to God's people, you have to follow the law. You have to follow the Ten Commandments, you have to submit to the Old Testament, you have to rely on the law in order to be truly a part of God's people, and part of that was they were encouraging them to be circumcised if they really wanted 
to belong. Paul has been spending this letter correcting this, this error. He's been addressing both the false teachers and the Galatian Christians who had started to believe that Jesus was not enough to save them. Well, today, as we consider Galatians 4, 21, all the way to the beginning of chapter 5, Paul is finishing an argument that began back in Galatians 3. And this argument was simply answering a question. Who really is a child of God? And as I've said, Paul gave that answer. Only those who were connected to Jesus by faith are truly children of God. And nothing else is required. No circumcision, no no acts of obedience. They are accepted fully and freely on the basis of what Jesus did. And so today, as we're going to consider in this passage, Paul, he puts a nice tight seal on the argument for the sufficiency of the gospel. Now, I hope you notice in verse 21, Paul tells us who he's addressing. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Right at the beginning, we see that Paul is writing to those who are prone to rely on the law for their acceptance before God. And and notice this, this phrase, under the law, you who desire to be under the law. This is not referencing obeying the law. Paul's not saying, he's not, he's not setting up two camps, those who believe in Jesus and then those who obey the word of God. He's saying there are two camps, essentially, those who rely on Jesus to save them and those who rely on the works of the law to save them. So he's saying, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? You see, Paul is writing to those of us who think that God's love depends on our performance for him. He's writing to those of us who rely on Jesus for forgiveness, but then rely on ourselves for belonging. Paul's writing to those of us who love lists to follow and and rules to obey in order to justify our existence and justify ourselves before God. Paul does something very interesting. It, it's so clever. It's, it's ingenious what he does. He, he, he addresses those who are saying, Paul, you are going beyond what the law says. We want to be under the law. And he says, okay, if you want to be under the law, you need to consider what the law actually says. And, and so he turns to this famous story in the Old Testament He uses the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar to show these legalistic Christians that salvation and blessing, they only come through God's promise, through God's initiative, and through God's saving work for us, not through our own initiative. Paul was essentially saying that there are two ways that people try to get to God. The first is relying on yourself. And he says, this leads to slavery. And the second is relying on Jesus. And Paul says, this leads to freedom. So Abraham tells them the story. He's primarily addressing the arguments that his opponents were making. But he tells them the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. And they would have been very familiar with it. But if if you're not familiar with the story, you may miss his point. So we need to recap the story a little bit. You see, back in Genesis 12 in the Bible, we're introduced to a man named Abraham. 
Now, Abraham was, was not someone who was desperately looking for God. He was a pagan. However, seemingly out of the blue, God came to Abraham. And he made this crazy promise to Abraham, this radically glorious promise. He said, Abraham, I've chosen you. I've set you apart. And I'm going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to give you so many descendants. And I'm going to bless you and all the families of the earth that are connected to you. God promises this peace, this eternal blessing to Abraham that will come through all of his descendants and spread to all corners of the earth. And the best part about this is that it's not a deal that he makes with Abraham. He doesn't say, Abraham, I'm going to give you all this if you follow these specific rules. He makes a promise to Abraham. I'm just going to give this to you. I'm going to make it happen. And all Abraham had to do was believe. And, and Abraham did believe God. But there were a couple of obvious problems that Abraham started rattling around in his head. You see, Abraham and Sarah, his wife, they didn't have any kids. And, you know, on, on top of that, not only did they not have kids at the time, but they were super old. They were really old, and by all natural indicators, Sarah, she could not have children. So she's old, she's barren, Abraham's super old, and I mean... I don't know how smart Abraham was, but it, do, it really doesn't take a genius to figure out it's tough to have a nation if you don't even have one kid. So Abraham doubted, but he reasonably doubted. He wanted to believe God, but how could he? How could he believe God when he has no children to pass on this glorious inheritance of eternal blessing to? Well, then we get to Genesis 15. And, and this is where Abraham actually confesses his doubt. He actually says in Genesis 15, God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. I mean, he's like, God, I, you've given me no offspring, yet you've promised eternal blessing and peace and salvation to my offspring. And, and he doesn't know what to do with that. So God reminds Abraham of the promise with this beautiful illustration. He tells him once again, I'm going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to give you all of these wonderful things in the future. But he says, come with me, Abraham. And he takes him outside his tent, and it's nighttime, and he has him look up into the sky, and he says, look at the stars, Abraham, and try to count them. Can you count the stars? Because if you can count the stars, whatever that number is, that will be your inheritance. That will be your descendants. Your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky above you. He tries to give him this assurance that I'm going to come through. Just wait a little longer. I will keep my promise. Well, Abraham is struck by that, but 10 more years pass by. And Abraham and Sarah remain childless. They waited and they waited and they waited for the Lord to deliver on his promise, but nothing happened. So we get to Genesis 16. And in Genesis 16, we learn that Abraham and Sarah decided to take matters into their own hands. God made a wonderful promise, but they know the only way that that promise is going to come true, the only way that they're actually going to receive and pass on a covenant of eternal blessing is if they have a child, and they know that there is no natural way that they can have a child. So they decide to manipulate the promise of God. 
And they decide to produce an heir according to their own wisdom and their own capabilities. And their unbelief led them to rely on themselves to achieve the promised blessing. So here's what they did. Abraham and Sarah, they, they went to their, their servant, Hagar, and Abraham and Hagar conceived a child. And Hagar gave birth and named the child, the son, Ishmael. But the problem was, Ishmael did not come through promise. Ishmael came through the manipulation of God's promise. So the blessing, the covenant promise, did not pass to Ishmael. Thirteen more years pass by. Sarah still doesn't have a child. God returns to Abraham, and he reminds him once again of the promise that he made. He makes the promise again to Abraham. And then Abraham expresses his doubt. He says, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I mean, they're just cracking up at this. It's, it's impossible. So then Abraham, he just tries to convince God, listen, I have a son. Here he is. His name's Ishmael. He's right before your eyes. Just let the promise pass down through him. We can't have children. You've, you've, you've messed up. You know, you've made a great promise, but you've used the wrong vessels. So, you know, we fixed it for you. And, and here's a son. Let the promise pass down through him. But God assures Abraham that the blessing he's promised, it will be the work of his hands alone. He doesn't need any help. He doesn't need any contribution from Abraham. So he says, Sarah, your wife. He's like, I know she's 90 years old. I know you're 100 years old. But Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And so then after years and years of waiting and unbelief, 90-year-old Sarah gave birth to a son, and they named him Isaac. Okay, so summarize just the characters here, the circumstances. There are two mothers, Hagar and Sarah. There are two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And then what's highlighted here and what Paul wants you to see, there are two methods of receiving God's promised salvation. Self-reliance or works or law and God-reliance, or promise, and gospel. What Paul does here is he uses this story of Abraham's unbelief and God's faithfulness to teach the Galatians about the radical nature of God's grace and the path to true gospel freedom. So what Paul does, he uses this historical account and he interprets it allegorically. He interprets it figuratively. What, what he does is he sees spiritual representation in the historical figures of the story. I love John Stott's summary of the allegory, and I can't say it better than him, so I'll just use his words. John Stott said it this way, this then is the allegory. Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, born of two mothers, Hagar and Sarah, who represent two covenants and two Jerusalems. Hagar, the slave, stands for the old covenant, and her son Ishmael symbolizes the assembly of the earthly Jerusalem. Sarah, the free woman, stands for the new covenant, and her son Isaac symbolizes the assembly of the heavenly Jerusalem. And this is where it's important. He says, although superficially similar, because both were sons of Abraham, the two boys were fundamentally different. In the same way, Paul is arguing 
It is not enough to claim Abraham as our father. The crucial question concerns who our mother is. If it is Hagar, we are like Ishmael. But if it is Sarah, we are like Isaac. So what, what Paul's doing here, and I don't want you to get lost in the weeds, he's using this allegory to highlight two ways to God. And only one of them works. He wants us to see that the way of the gospel is sufficient for our salvation. And he wants to show why it would be foolish for the Galatians or for us to return to the way of the law or the way of self-reliance. So let's, let's highlight both of these as we walk through this passage. The way of works, the way of the law, and the way of gospel, the way of promise. So first, there's the way of works, the way of the law. It's a way of self-reliance. So Paul compares the birth of Ishmael to salvation by works. If you notice it, it says in verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So he wants us to see this distinction. He says that Ishmael was born because Abraham didn't trust God to keep his promise. Abraham wanted the benefits of the promise. He wanted an offspring, he wanted an inheritance, and he wanted a covenant of eternal blessing for himself and for his family, all who would come after him. But he knew that such a promise required children. And he knew there's no way he can have children. So he tries to earn the blessing by manipulating the promise. He doesn't trust God to make a way Abraham decides to intervene, to intercede, and to make a way for himself. So Abraham, in this moment, did not rely on God's grace. He did not wait for his supernatural action. Instead, Abraham relied on his own ability. He tried to bring about the promise of God according to his own wisdom, according to his own capabilities. And so Ishmael's birth represents seeking salvation by works. But Paul makes another comparison here. He compares Hagar to the Mosaic covenant or the law. He says in verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Okay, here's what's important for you to see here. Paul tells us that he's interpreting this story of Isaac and Ishmael allegorically. So Hagar represents Mount Sinai, where the law was given. So Hagar represents the law, which was given at Mount Sinai, and she corresponds to the present day at Paul's time, Jerusalem, where Judaism was still the dominant religion, a religion of works. And so since Hagar was a slave, her son Ishmael, even though he was Abraham's son, inherited her slavery. So Paul is making this simple point, that keeping the law of Moses to earn salvation doesn't actually lead to salvation. It leads to more slavery. Anyone bound to the law, anyone relying on the law to merit salvation inherits spiritual slavery. 
The false teachers from Jerusalem, this is why it's so important, they believed that they were descendants of Isaac and that the Galatians were descendants of Ishmael, descendants of Hagar because she she was a Gentile slave. And that's why they urged the Galatians to be circumcised and to fulfill the demands of the law so that they too could inherit the promises that were made to Abraham and Isaac. We are in, you are out. I know you're believing in Jesus, but that's not enough. You have to get in to become a son of Abraham, a son of Isaac. But do you see what Paul does here? Paul completely flips their logic on its head. And he says, no, those who try to keep the law in order to be accepted by God are in fact children of slavery, children of Hagar, children of Ishmael, children of the promise on the other hand, those who are children of Abraham and Isaac, they are the ones who receive the promise by simple faith. Here's what I want you to see. Any attempt to add to God's gracious promise gives birth to spiritual slavery. Relying on the law for salvation is like Abraham relying on his own initiative to accomplish the benefits of God's promise. The Galatian Christians are trying to blend law and gospel. They're trying to blend their own initiative with God's initiative. They know they need Jesus to save them, but they also think that they have to contribute something as well. And we're so prone to do the same thing, to recognize that, yes, we've heard the story and we know that we need Jesus to forgive us of our sins, but if we don't do our part, we're not going to get in or we're not going to truly belong. We cannot blend law and gospel in this way. We cannot blend works and promise. There are two ways to God, and they are mutually exclusive. You either, on the one hand, have to completely earn your own way. You you have to be perfectly obedient. As we've seen earlier in Galatians, you don't just have to be circumcised and keep certain parts of the law. If you're going to try to rely on the law, you have to keep all of it, or else you are cursed before God. And then there's the other way, where Jesus stands in your place, and Jesus earns for you what you could never earn for yourself. But the the issue here is we can't have it both ways. You can't rely on yourself and simultaneously rely on Jesus. You can't trust God to do his part and then rely on yourself to finish the job. Salvation is either by works or it is by promise. Eternal blessing either comes by law or it comes by gospel, but not both. If you're trying to earn God's approval by being a good person, if you're trying to ensure that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you're in trouble. You're in trouble because you will never be good enough on your own. But it's not just that you're not good enough. If you take the path of personal performance and self-reliance to try to reach God, you are actually in slavery. Self-reliance, this is why it's so dangerous, self-reliance feels so freeing. It feels so freeing to rely on yourself, to determine your own way of life 
to base your eternal status on how many good things that you can do in the world. And, and it feels constricting, on the other hand, to simply believe a promise from God and then live out the implications of that promise. But Paul says, self-reliance for salvation is slavery. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it in that way, but if you're trying to earn your way to God through being a good person, how do you know that you've finally been good enough? If you're, if you're trying to make sure that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, how do you know when you finally reached it? It's slavery. It's exhausting. And it will never be enough to save your soul. If you choose the way of works, the way of Ishmael here, then you are children of slavery and you will die in your sin. But praise God, there is another way. And it's the way of promise, the way of gospel. It's reliance upon Jesus for your salvation. And here's what Paul does. He compares the birth of Isaac to salvation by promise. Now, contrary to Ishmael, Isaac's birth was the direct result of God making and keeping a promise. The only way that Isaac was going to be born to Sarah is if God made it happen. There was no other possible way. And Isaac was born by a supernatural act from God. God intervened, he made a way, and all Abraham and Sarah had to do was believe. That was it. And their belief was, was very weak, if, if you remember from the story. And so Paul applies this to the Galatian Christians, and he applies it to us, and he says, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Why? Why does it work that way? Well, because Isaac received the promise of eternal blessing as a gift of grace. And so do we. Much like a baby being born to a 90-year-old barren woman, it takes a supernatural work of God alone to save us from our sin. Our salvation requires God to take initiative. It requires God to intervene. And he doesn't need our help. And, and we don't complete the saving work of God through our obedience. Salvation is all of God, and it is all of God from beginning to end. If we try to add our own contribution, we completely blow it. Salvation comes by works or it comes by faith. Salvation comes through works or it comes through promise. It comes through law or it comes through gospel. And we are children of God not because we made a way. We are children of God because God made away. And the way to God, the only true way to God, comes through relying on Jesus to be and do for you what you are not and what you cannot do for yourself. I want you to consider how counterintuitive this is. Paul is saying that those who have hope for a future of immeasurable blessing and joy are not those who are striving to be really good people. They're not those who are striving to be very religious or moral. Those who have hope for a future of immeasurable blessing and joy are those who recognize that they are completely messed up, that they don't have it all together, and that they could never be good enough. 
The gospel is for those who have fallen flat on their faces. The gospel is for those of us who are tired of running the treadmill of moralism and legalism. Paul shows us in this analogy about Sarah and Hagar that the gospel is for the spiritually barren. Those of us who were once far from God, those of us who were in slavery to sin, those of us who could not ever reproduce the glory of God in our lives are now forgiven of sin, welcomed into God's family, and called to walk in gospel freedom. Which means that the spiritually empty and barren of this world, when they turn to Jesus with simple faith, will be filled with the Spirit of God and will multiply the image of God all over the world. So eternal blessing and true spiritual freedom is held out for those who stop relying on themselves and stop relying on their own religious traditions for their belonging, for their acceptance. It's for those who start relying on Jesus. And in the Bible Belt, we mess this up all the time. We believe in Jesus, but then we are so prone to create a set of rules to follow in order to really, truly, finally be saved or to really, truly, finally belong to God. Or we think that because we do churchy stuff, because we do religious stuff, that we belong to God. We subtly believe that our standing before God completely depends on the degree of our faithfulness. We worry that God either won't accept us in the first place or that he will stop accepting us if we don't perform for him spiritually. Or the worst part of this, we turn toward those who don't live out their faith exactly like us and we question whether or not they're Christians at all. Paul does leave us with an important warning. He says in verse 30, But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Now, this is taken from the Genesis story. And what happened was Sarah cast out Hagar and her son. Hagar and Ishmael were cast out, and Ishmael did not share in Isaac's inheritance. Now, God blessed them in different ways, but he did not share in Isaac's inheritance. Here's, here's the application. If you're relying on your own good deeds to save you, even if you throw Jesus into it, even if you say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but ultimately you're relying on yourself. If you're trying to contribute your own works in addition to the work of Jesus in your place, then you will be cast out too. You will not inherit the salvation and the eternal blessing promised through Jesus which means Christianity is not about making sure you do or believe all of the right things so that God might love you in return. And now, of course, we strive to do what God calls us to do. And of course, we strive to know God as best as we can in his word and to believe all that we should believe about him in his word as he's revealed himself. But our obedience to God and the depth of our knowledge of him are not the grounds of our salvation. God loves the unlovable. God is gracious to the guilty. God pursues those who have run from him. Christianity then 
is, about, is not about striving. Christianity is about resting. It's about resting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So do you know how you can get to God this morning? By realizing that you could never reach him. And by turning to Jesus in faith. Then and only then will your soul find true freedom because you will finally stand secure in the grace and love of God for you. I want to wrap it up by looking at Galatians 5 verse 1. This is a transitional verse. We're going to consider it next week as well. But it's, it's taking us from his arguments about who belongs to the people of God to how do the people of God live their lives. And so he's going to be launching from this verse to talk about Christian freedom. He says in Galatians 5 verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus offers grace to the barren. The gospel produces spiritual fruit in those who seem spiritually barren. And the least likely candidate to live for God's glory, extend God's grace, mercy, and love, and to walk in God's freedom are the very ones the gospel is for. So I urge you, resist the lure of legalism. Resist the urge to justify your existence and to vindicate yourself. Resist the urge to judge those who apply the gospel in different ways. And resist the urge to base God's love for you on your religious and spiritual performance. Because as long as you stay trapped in that legalism, you will stay trapped in slavery. Stand firm, therefore, Paul says, in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you. Through his death and his resurrection, Jesus has set us free from sin and from spiritual striving and slavery. He has set us free to love others sacrificially, to forgive others mercifully, and to be content in him no matter what comes. God loves you. He has adopted you, and he has broken the chains of self-reliance. So what Paul is urging these Galatian Christians, I urge you as well. Don't go back. Don't submit again. Don't rely on yourself, but rely and rest on Jesus because his work for you is sufficient. And when you rest in him, you will find the freedom that you crave. Let me pray for you.